Hi and welcome to another installment of Video Drone. This week we'll be tackling I Saw the Devil, Session 9, and finally Blazing Magnum. So, first up for episode 12, um, we're off to Korea yeah. to see a devil <laughs> <laughs> with uh, director Kim Ji-won's 2010 film, I Saw the Devil. Good pronunciation. <laughs> Trying it. <laughs> um, I'll give a brief synopsis mm-hmm. and then we'll, we'll mince the, uh, the stars' names. <laughs> <laughs> so, first one, uh, well, first up, so it's a Korean revenge movie mm-hmm. about uh, a National Intelligence Service agent. Pursuing the serial murderer who kills his fiancée at the start of the film. This he does by constantly catching and tormenting the killer and then releasing him again just so he can pursue him and catch him again yep. and torment him some more. Bonkers film. Um, <laughs> two really big Korean stars in yes. this film. Uh-huh. Um, probably the most famous one for sort of action, well, I would say action horror film fans, yeah. is Choi Min Sik. If you're familiar with the films of Park Chan Wook, you all know who Chimans yeah, is because he's, he's Odisu in uh, Old Boy. That's right. And he pops up in what else did he pop in? Craig? The uh, Thirst and also Lady Vengeance as well. He's right. Um, Western films he's been in. The only one that I know of is Lucy. Yeah, I don't know any any uh, Western films he's been in besides that. He might yeah. he may have been in others. I'm yeah, not sure. he might have been since then. Um, the other star, Byung Hun Lee, mm-hmm. um, who'd also been in Kim Ji Won's previous, or one of his previous films, A Bit of Sweet Life, which I really like. Yeah, me too. Uh, Excellent film. And also GAA, Joint Security Area. Yes. Um, but which I've seen, which is very good. I'd recommend that Yeah. Too. He now sort of branched out into Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in the last Terminator film. Uh, he's in the G.I. Joe films, and also he's in the upcoming Magnificent Seven. So uh, he's done okay. Yeah, definitely on the um, rise. And we should just say that the director, uh, Kim Ji Won's, Probably best known for A Tale of Two Sisters, as well as A Bit of Sweet Life, and also mm-hmm. The Good, The Bad, The Weird, Yeah, which again, I think has got Byung Hun Lee in it mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, that's proper good film, this. Really, really good. I think that um, when I first saw it, I was like, I didn't really know what to expect, and I was just blown away. Mm-hmm. It's definitely one of those uh, films where, if you know very little going in, you'll, you'll be surprised. Yeah. Um, so would you say we'll try not to give too much away in this? Yeah, we'll, we'll try our best, but it is a bit difficult with certain plot points. I first saw um, a version that was that I, that I found online before it was a commercial release. Right. I've since redeemed myself and bought the official. Yeah, I've got. I've, I've bought it on Blu-ray as well. It's a stunning-looking Blu-ray. It by is. The way, isn't yeah, it? yeah. Um, and it's a stunning-looking film. Yeah. It's um, just aesthetically, you know, the way it looks and. The sort of the sets and everything. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a lot really of it's nice sort of set in the snow, isn't it as well? That's right, yeah, because it's it's obviously like set sort of during uh, winter time, uh-huh. and it starts with a snowy drive, yeah. um, sort of like POV shot, doesn't it? Uh-huh. With um, the killer who drives a taxi, yeah, sort of uh, looking on the hunt on, for, on the hunt quite for a victim, which yeah. brings us to the sort of uh, beginning, really, because um, as you've as you've mentioned, it's a revenge movie. Uh huh. And so what happens at the start is the the hero's fiance is kidnapped mm-hmm. and very well, we're not giving anything away, brutally. she gets brutally murdered very, yeah. very quickly at the start of Absolutely, the film. Absolutely she does. 
and that starts a chain of a chain of events of, mm-hmm. of the body first gets found mm-hmm. and then um what it is that the what's he called the character which character sorry? the play, policeman the, oh, it's, N, um, the ns nis uh, uh Hyun kim it's easy for you to say <laughs> um he just has this mad plot to get four suspects mm-hmm. and he thinks right i'm going to get me revenge back on on this guy yeah. So it starts to a sort of face beaten montage. Yeah, exactly. Because he, he first of all he, he he goes around each one trying to figure out who's who. Exactly, crossing them off his yeah, list until he, he sort of settles on who it is. And um, there's a fantastic um, moment where he where he whips somebody in the face with a plug head. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those. It's definitely a strong film. Oh, very strong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 viewer discretion definitely advised on this one. Oh, it's a definite eighteen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of those films I always use this phrase: not a date movie. No, no, definitely. <laughs> it could be worse, but yeah, it's yeah. not. It's not. It really it's not isn't. good. Um, but, but uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it. I think it's one of those things that, you know, it's tr- really strong films are few and far between these days, and, uh-huh. and you know, I tend to find that you know films that are pretty disturbing, and you know, stay with you often. For me, it's like foreign movies these days more mm-hmm. than yeah, definitely. America. Because usually they're offering something new. Yeah, or just maybe uh, a little bit different to to sort of um, your, what's, your is co- what is considered acceptable in America these yeah. days. And the fact that America is just you know constantly trying to sort of make as many films a twelve or twelve A as possible. Yeah. To make the maximum amount of cash flow as that. Uh, very cynical, <laughs> that. Yeah. There's but no, true. <laughs> yeah. Didn't they say they were going to remake this as well? I in haven't America. heard that, but I wouldn't be surprised considering they've already remade uh, Old Boy, and um, there's a few Park Chan-wook films that I would imagine they're probably iron, mm. no doubt. Did you watch that remake of Old Boy? I know we're going a bit off there, but um, I didn't. But no. it, the trailer made it look so dull and lifeless. It <laughs> give it a miss. Yeah, definitely. But um, yes, yeah, so back to the back, uh, yeah, back back, back to, to the I movie. The devil, there's there's <laughs> a few goods. There's lots of sort of set pieces in this. Mm. There's the the baddie hooks up uh, hooks up with a sort of cannibal mm. couple later on in the film, and that's a big yeah. big piece. There's did a ta- we did we actually mention the, the killer's name? No, Kyung Cho Jang. There you go. Again, I'm not going to totally <laughs> lean on you for this one. Um, but yeah, there's a few good set scenes. Um, obviously, mm. there's a, the first murder that sets everything up. There's a scene in the taxi which is just so bizarre and so well shot. It's just yeah. Fantastic. We're talking about uh, things you don't normally see in films or things you're not used to. It's uh, it's when I first saw that scene, I was just like, whoa! It was a bit of a revelation. I was just like, what we happened talked there? In the, um, we talked in the uh, review of Full Contact a while ago about the first time you saw a Bullet Time. Yeah, it's a bit like that, isn't it? It's uh, like that yeah. sort of like, whoa! I've not yeah. seen anything quite like that before. That's fabulous, um, isn't it? Yeah, but it's it's really good without spoiling too much. It's just uh, the way it's just basically what they do with the with the sort of uh, camera work. Yeah, fact, it's all in one one sort of take if uh-huh. you like oh so it would appear, oh, anyway. so it appear. Yes, it's probably been digitally joined yeah. but like yeah it's it looks, cleverly done looks amazing though yeah I mean the, the set design's cracking they've got, you've got the cannibal's lair you've got um, what's the baddie called again <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's Kyung Cho Jang yeah so he's got this weird sort of like basement cum garage thing which is like got a big drainage facility set yeah, to so drain he, the blood of his chop people away. up and do yeah which you see at the stars <laughs> you do I mean the the poor fiance is like ends up in bits and you see her sort of bits being chucked away in there. Yeah. It's, oh, it's really it's uh-huh. really gruesome. It is. Oh yeah, because that's it. The kids at the start of the films find mm. was it an find, ear or a find, hand? That's right. Yeah. The, one of them finds finds the ear. 
Yeah. And then that leads to the forensics uh, looking for the head. The E's are called back to wear blue velvet, I suppose. Oh, it's, it could be, yeah. yeah, who, yeah. Who, know, who knows? There's a few bits like that, because also as well, it's been a taxi driver. Uh, the bad, I'm just going to call him the baddie, I can't remember. <laughs> the baddie also drives <laughs> a school... You could just call him Django. Django. <laughs> um, he also drives a school bus as well, which That's reminds right. me of Dirty Harry. So Yeah. Um, yeah, there's loads of callbacks to things like that. But uh, yeah, it's it's a brutal film. Now, I've seen this film two or three times now. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, it's 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 lost its impact a bit. But the first time you the see first it, time it's, you see it it's, it's a proper knock-your-socks-off stuff, isn't it? It really is, yeah. Um, talk about a journey into the heart of darkness. It's a very, very uh, dark film indeed. Yeah. Um, there's but, a lot going on in it though, and you know there's there's uh, there's barely anything wasted. I'd say almost every two minutes there's something pretty major happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's not really that many scenes that either aren't tense or disturbing or both. Yeah, <laughs> but also I find that the, the tone of the film does sort of jump about a bit. Yeah, because some parts are like uh, sort of like character study, some parts are like sort of serial killer thriller territory. Yeah, and other bits are more action. There's action, but some of it's like there's I don't know. Like if the I would say scene where he encounters him in the greenhouse for the first time. Oh, yeah, that's and pretty the, tense. And the bit in the cannibal there where he's like shooting him with a shotgun, he's dodging out rain, grabbing him and stuff. But there's parts of it are quite humorous as well. There's some very very dark humor. I'd yeah. say that there's very little humor in the film, but what humor is is there uh-huh. is dark. Yeah, but it, it's few and far between because there's not much funny in this film. No. <laughs> But I also find the the, the the there's the police chief in it who's actually leading the investigation mm. proper, and yes. that's very melodramatic. Some of the scenes mm. with him. Um, I see what you mean there. Yeah. yeah, and he's storming about all the time and that. But I've been thinking about it. It's almost like the film has more than one finale because, like, when he encounters him in the greenhouse, it's more thrilling than the entire finale to some films. Yeah. But then that happens again and again when because like you mentioned, he catches him, releases him. Yeah. Catches him and releases him. And there's some really good set pieces, but you get several of those that are quite exciting mm-hmm. and gripping. Um and you know, some films don't even have one finale as good as that and it's almost like they do it a couple of times before the end of the film. Yeah. <laughs> I mean actually now the more I think about it, it's just when when we're saying about uh Byung Hun Lee who plays the uh National Intelligence Service, the policeman, mm-hmm. the hero. Um, he is sort of Terminator-like in his drive. Yes, he is, absolutely. And he does actually yeah. stalk about, you know, mm-hmm. a bit like Robert Patrick in Terminator 2 in, in <laughs> some points. Yeah, there is. And there's a lot of action. He almost seems like a machine at some points, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, definitely, definitely. He's just so determined to get his, his revenge. And there's there's a scene where, um, where like, uh, his sort of uh, sister-in-law tries to talk him out of it. Yeah. Isn't there? And he's like... You know, she's saying what you're doing is pointless. It's not going to bring her back. Well, that's um, it. And I mean, again, the film's also about the consequences exactly. of what, what the, happens what, when he does what he does. Basically, uh, basically. starts to sort of, uh, you know, loses humanity, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, obviously, it's got nods to seven as well as a head mm. in a box. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, a cracking little film. It is. I mean, this this we should also talk a little bit about um, some of the sort of. Uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the taxi scene and how that's quite an interesting technique that they used there. Uh-huh. Um, there's quite a few in-shot things that normally it would cut away from. Um, there's like, for example, going back to like the violence, there's a, there's a bit where somebody's being brutally beaten on the head. Mm-hmm. And instead of cutting away and showing repeated blows, it just continually shows them being hit. And it's like one shot, yeah. And, and again and again. Oh, and it's horrible. And it's... It's, yeah, and it's, it's actually twice in the same scene because 
when he's fighting against both um, Jang and his uh, cannibal friend who he's yeah. kind of hooked up with uh-huh. um, he beats him unconscious and beats him bloody yeah. and then he does the same to his mate as well yeah. and it's like twice in shot uh-huh. being hit repeatedly hit over the head and it's uh but it does have the effect. It's 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 mm. repulsive. It's not you know. It's yeah, not really it's entertaining. not. It's it not goes like glamorized violence. It's not comic book violence. It's a bit it's like, like I mean, up close and personal. Yeah, it's a bit like the original Evil Dead, where Bruce Campbell gets beaten by a poker mm-hmm. again and again and again. The BBFC took a look at that back in the day and said, "No, we'll reduce it down to just a few times, which actually made it look worse." Yeah, but on did, this yeah. one, it it you get the impact. You, you really, really do. You really do, and I think that um, there's just so many different sort of types of violence in it you know it's like there's so many different things being done to different characters and in like yeah. horrible ways and it's uh, I mean everything from you know from sort of uh, bullet wounds to be to, to that bit where he steps on the caltrops oh yeah oh <laughs> and you you mentioned uh, the evil dead there's a scene that's quite similar to the evil dead in a, in a completely different way where um, it's scissor is inserted into where uh, Jang's um, heel it was like Achilles tendon yeah and kind and, of like it's like cut, yeah. so you can't walk properly. Walk properly, aye. Because obviously in the other days, I see with the pencil going in the yeah, heels. In, in, in the evil days, yeah, that yeah definitely. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's, but you, you can't stress how much of a baddie this character is. No, he's horrible. He's pitiless, isn't he? Yeah. He's like absolutely merciless. Oh, he's got no regrets about anything. Whereas Kim, all, all, the way, all the way through the film, although he's completely relentless and he does not stop, he does like sort of, there are scenes in the film where he seems to be taking a look at what he's capable yeah. of and shedding tears, not just for what happened to his fiance, but almost for himself in a oh, way. Yeah. Particularly towards the end of the film. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so, again, like we don't want to give too much away about the film mm, as well, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's definitely worth catching up if you haven't seen it. Although I suppose a lot of people who are into these sorts of films will probably have seen it. But um, eventually, I mean, like I said, it's three or four times I've seen it now it does to me like it gets all a bit itchy and scratchy <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's the constant sort of but it is it, it's still sort of like grabbing the cushion and hiding oh, behind yeah, in, in, definitely. in some parts and like I said it's a lot I mean I, I don't know if I previously mentioned I think it's a quite a long film but it doesn't really uh, my mind didn't wander well, no it's, it rattles along like, yeah, like, I did pace. I did mention that I know I, but I did mention I suppose that every couple of minutes the, the nature of the film is because it's catch and release yeah. It builds up and then it's like, all oh, right, and then especially when you haven't seen it before, you don't really know what how it's going to pan yeah. out, and it's like, whoa, it's a proper roller coaster, up mm-hmm. and down, up and down. And uh, the I, I was talking about this earlier um, before we started record, but the, I was watching it for the second time on this uh, view, and but it's a bloody good job I'd seen it before because when I was watching the most tense moment of the entire film, which uh-huh. is you know the ending pretty much, yeah, um, somebody came and knocked on the door, oh! and I. Had, Deposit, and he's like the final. Without going again, without giving too much away, the final scenes are a grizzly. So I was like, right, well, I'll just, I'll just uh, pause it on this bit instead. <laughs> so, that, so that when the uh, person coming in, in the yeah. meter, sees me telling she doesn't say yeah, loads of violence, blood and stuff, and guts and gore. Uh, well, I reckon. Well, I think we'll, we'll bring this one to the end um, of this little review. And I saw the devil, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, absolutely. Not for everyone, but a fantastic film. No. Let's go on to session nine. Right then, moving on to session nine. Mm -hmm. uh, 2001 movie directed by Brad Anderson, Mm -hmm. starring uh, David Caruso and Peter Mullen. Um, Ooh, synopsis. Yours is better than mine. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
Five guys cleaning the asbestos out of an old hospital for mental patients find they are slowly beginning to unravel. Is it just the pressure of the contract's timescale or some of their fractured relationships beginning to collapse or are supernatural forces at work? Mm. Right, okay. That's a pretty. That's better summing up than me, which is basically mine's a lot smaller than that. So oh, um, sometimes to the points, but yeah, well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> so Brad Anderson, um, probably his best, most known for the Machinist. Yeah, which was uh, Batman. Which, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, Christian say, Bale. Christian Bale. Yeah, he lost a lot of weight for that one. He certainly. He did. also more recently directed The Call. Um, that's the Halle Berry one. The Halle Berry one, which I haven't that. seen, but I think it got sort of got some good notices when it came out. But I think more recently he's been doing a lot more TV sort of things, right. like some Boardwalk Empire, etc. Um, so yeah, he's done done, done a few films, so mm-hmm. he kind of knows what he's doing. Um, but this is way back, I mean, two thousand and one. God, yeah, yes, fifteen years ago now. Yeah, and it's it's been a long time. I mean, I've I've seen it previously, but to be honest with you, it was that long ago. It might as well have been my first view, and I remembered a couple of scenes, but it was just one of those that kind of. It's been lost to the mists of time. <laughs> so I mean, like, like we said, the setup is um, Peter Mullen sort of runs this um, company yeah. that does asbestos cleaning, and that's he, right. Yeah, he under undercuts a rival company to get this job, and he wants to the the guys want it done quickly. Yeah. So he says he's going to do it in two weeks initially, and they're they're sort of happy with that. But you can tell he's kind of faltering a bit. There's another rival contractor, so he's like, "Well, how about we do it in a week?" And he's like. Uh-huh. He's serious, and he's like, "Well, I'll get extra people. Yeah. And we'll get it done." So David Caruso's kind of the right hand man. I keep yes. wanting to call him Mitch from <laughs> First Blood, but uh, yeah, he's like the right hand man, and he's sort of sitting on his shoulder, sort of thing, trying to yeah. be the voice of reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but Peter Mullen's just like, "No, no, we'll get it done." Although mm-hmm. the building itself in the in the movie, this uh, old real asylum that they mm-hmm. use as as well, it's a set, and it's it's like another character in the yeah, film. It is. And it's a fantastic looking building. I don't think they make enough use of it because mm. it's only quite a way through. You see a big aerial shot. That's These right. days you'd have drones flying all over the top of it because <laughs> it looks that good. It does, yeah. Um, and one of the characters mentioned the guy who would the get the contract off. He says uh, that it's kind of like almost like a bat. Yeah. But then certain parts are kind of like its wings and that. Yeah, that's and that's exactly what it looks like when you see the aerial mm-hmm. shot. Yeah. And I mean, um, obviously you may put it down in your notes the sort of significance of Arkham. Yeah, that's right. Because Lovecraft, um, the the author H.P. Lovecraft, he created um, an institute called the Arkham Institute, which was apparently inspired by this building, the Danvers State Mental Hospital. Right. Um, and that in turn was also the inspiration for Arkham Asylum and Batman. And Batman, yeah. So but it's it's an amazing looking building, and I can't. I, maybe we have seen other films where it's been used again. Possibly, yeah. Because uh, obviously, I mean, in the film, it's whether or not. I think I read somewhere that it's not much set dressing went into it. Mm. It was sort of already that, that decrepit inside that looks the business. But then again, I mean, looking at that building and you see the size of it, mm-hmm. that's a sort of bit of one of the first plot holes you come into in, in the film. How are five blokes going to do the job that they're doing? Well, that's the thing. In, yeah. in a month, let alone <laughs> a week. Um, it just seems like far too much. Well, it does a bit. Especially when like one of the kids is just like, it's not sort of fresh out of school, but you do, yeah. just know the job sort of thing. Exactly, he's kind of like he's he's supposed to be the character of Gordon's uh, nephew, isn't he? Yeah, he's learning the ropes. And that, so we well we haven't really talked that much about the individual characters, have we? Right, really? okay. So there's so um, Gordon is kind of like the protagonist. Really, Gordo, yeah, who's not he's played by Peter Mullen. Mm-hmm. He's not even second build in the cast. I don't know if you'd noticed that. I he's didn't he's really. about fourth or fifth down the list. All oh, right, okay. But basically, it's a two hander really between. 
Caruso and mm-hmm. Mullen. Um, Peter Mullen, if you don't know who he is, he's probably best known as, as Mother Superior in Trainspotting. Yeah. And he's also in um, Paddy Considine's Tyrannosaurus. Oh, yes. Oh, I forgot about that. Um, yeah. And he, mm-hmm. he does crop up in, I don't know, it's derogatory to say, but he's almost like a rent scot Yeah. And he's doing <laughs> he's doing adverts on the telly at the moment for a motor car. I can't remember what it is. But he's, you could see him, he's, he's a proper committed actor. Like, mm-hmm. um, he probably does a lot more stage work than there. Uh, yeah. TV and film and stuff more but, than likely um, he's spot on um, and then so there's who else is there who's Caruso player um, that would be um, Phil Phil yes so he's sort of like this. I would say the sort of what seemingly the straight arrow out yeah. in a bunch he kind of keeps them together really doesn't yeah. he or he tries to anyway. tries to yeah. as we'll get into it in a bit. Um, <laughs> and he really hates uh, Hank who's another member of the crew because he stole his, his girlfriend oh. and that's like a kind of plot point going going forward do you like David Caruso as an actor he's okay I mean it's just kind of I don't know like I've never really watched the CSI shows and stuff no. and like it, I mean I think he fits the bill in this uh, yeah but um yeah. but you know if you don't if you don't know who he is he's the guy who's in the seemingly ne- never ending uh, CSI Miami which is yeah probably going repeat, gonna to be repeated to fill schedules until the end of time exactly I mean I love him <laughs> in First Blood Um, he's in King of New York as well Oh yes, uh, he, he's popped in loads of films. I remember, but Jay- I haven't seen that in so long that I probably can't remember his role. Yeah. To be honest with you, I don't know. I don't think he's. It's like when I've seen him in episodes of uh, CSI Miami, or whatever. He just seems a bit characterless. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. And, but um, I think he's in this. He kind of like he does sort of. Um, you know, he, he fits his character. He was kind of like a fairly, like you say, like a sort yeah. of straight arrow. He's like trying to kind of keep them in line, and that and he's a bit. But, but Mullen, I've got to mention what? that he has he has the most <laughs> has this most incredible scene where he just sort of says to one of the when things get quite heated towards the end of the film and he just goes fuck you uh, and it's like what's most one of the most hilarious scenes <laughs> swears I've ever heard in the film it's just it was even, somebody even uploaded it to YouTube so really? somebody obviously found it as funny as oh, I did oh so it's up there with like a con <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like a five second clip tickled him <laughs> we, uh, we haven't mentioned Mike as well um, he previously wanted to be a lawyer yeah, he didn't end up finishing his uh, degree. He's the, br- the brain box. Yeah, he discovers some tapes, which is where the title of the movie comes from. Mm. Because the sessions are with this uh, girl called Mary, um, who's got like disassociative identity or mm-hmm. multiple personalities. Multiple personalities, yeah. And the different sessions cover different segments of like uh, a psychosis. And there's as he's going through all the tapes, they're all numbered in session nine. Is quite an important tape. Yeah. So it's there's a bit of build up to the discovery of what's on the tape of session nine. There is, yeah. I mean, these sort of sort of psychological horror films, to me, it, it's I think Blair Blair Witch kicked it all off for I this do. this time yeah. round. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a big fan of Blair Witch, so I quite like the original. Yeah. One, um. So I'm I'm on the back foot with these sort of films anyway. Mm-hmm. Um. I again like Craig had seen it a while back now, um. Mm-hmm. But it's like it hadn't left any impression on us really because the, some of the, the more sort of violent bits I just couldn't remember whatsoever yeah I mean um, the thing is is it's a slow burner it's a real slow burn yeah. film it uses character relationships and interactions quite well because you know some of the characters are at odds with each other we mentioned that you know Hank stole um, Phil's girlfriend and they clearly don't get on as a result yeah so then there's a so like a bit later in the movie Hank goes missing mm-hmm and because he's kind of like he's the sort of like joker type character he's the one who doesn't take things quite as seriously and he's kind of 
the chilled sort of relaxed like sort of more cool one and that and he's yeah he's always, he talks earlier in the film about his exit plan yeah and how he's and how you've always got to have an exit plan and then he goes missing and somebody that uh, Phil supposedly talks to on the phone but we don't actually hear um, in the conversation yeah says that he's like done a runner and he's went to Vegas because yeah. he won some money because yeah because they keep playing these scratch cards in the film and they say mm. oh, it must have been one of the cards and that and he's, yeah. he's run off with the money that's right so he but you don't know for a fact what's happening when he kind of tries to make you suspect could he have had something to do with it. Because everyone, besides the kid, besides um, you know the young nephew, Jeff, uh-huh. everyone besides him has some sort of um, moment where you start to question whether the job or what they've experienced in the asylum is getting to them. Mm-hmm. And every character goes through something like that, besides Jeff, who's just like, you know, just an ordinary kid and he never really seems to sort of uh, have any particularly kind of like disturbing experiences other than ones that involve other people well uh, again uh, that that's a cut and paste pit part of the film when you get first mm. goes into the asylum and they, they give them the tour to show what they've got to do mm. or we'll use this tunnel or oh, i don't like dark spaces and all that stuff and yeah. i'm like oh for christ's sake here we go <laughs> cut and paste out of every bloody horror film you've ever seen because you know what's going to happen that's, i know i know what you mean like in retrospect nah. thinking about that I, yeah. I don't think i minor too much at the time i suppose now that you mentioned no it. it's just how many films have you seen that that it's just well, like, it's, it's, a, good, it's, it's a good it's, point it is it's kind of like cheap and it's another thing that that, that let it down for me overall mm. um like i say i mean I still think like yeah, Peter Mullen wipes the floor with everybody in in the film because you believe in him. Yeah. Um, and the rest of them are just two sort of because he's yeah. Everybody else is like a cardboard cutout. You know, you got the guy who's scared of the dark. You got the brainy one. You got this sort of the chancer. Um, so they're like the the archetypes. Yeah, totally. It's too yeah. stereotyped. And from from a director like Brad Anderson, you'd expect a lot more. Another detriment to the film as well. It's early doors digital. Mm. And that it really is. shows. In fact, up. I'm pretty sure it said um, in some of the things I was reading that it was the first film that, that was entirely shot entirely on this particular type of Sony digital camcorder. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it, it looks like people hadn't previously made films with this before. Yeah. And it was the first one, and you you can sort of see there's a bit of like um, it doesn't it has a different look. Uh-huh. I mean, I some think, of the handheld. I think stuff. that in some ways that actually enhances some of the sort of uh, shots and things, but there's maybe some other aspects of it that look a bit flat. I mean, yeah, I've got here, it said uh, early digital film. Looks a bit ropey, but does have a few good shots. You know, mm. some good, lots of handheld movement. See, I get what like you're that. saying about the archetypes and like the characters being a bit stereotypical. I don't mm-hmm. mind that so much because like, for me, it was more about the kind of atmosphere and like the the character interactions are quite good, even though everyone's not the most amazing actor. Yeah. Um, I think that the way that the character interactions play out and the fact that it leads you into a lot of different... like. You know, it makes you think about what could have possibly happened with all the sort of creepier stuff in the mm-hmm. film. We haven't talked um, too much about uh, the actual tapes themselves, the, the session tapes. As well. Yeah, because they are very, very sinister. I thought, I mean, I thought they were quite disturbing. Uh, I think I've just, seen too many films with that sort of stuff in for they just washed over. It's, the, really. it's not the content of them as such; it's just the voice. The change of the voices. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I mean, as we mentioned, there's a character, the Mary, who is the character who um, Mike keeps on listening to on the tapes. Uh-huh. Um, she has a split personality and, and she's coming out with all these different sort of personalities and she changes her voice. Mm. But it's an, it's an adult pretending to be a kid, but it just sounds so like something unsettling about it. Yeah. And they've, they seem to have used some sort of distortion in that for the, oh. for the voice, but yeah. it's. 
but there's there's just um, certain sort of lines in it that kind of stayed with us that I thought were a bit right. a bit sort of eerie. Um, I must be just too jaded then. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very unusual film. I mean, like I say, it's slow burn, but it's not all boring. And, yeah. and there's a lot to chew on in terms of what, what's going on. I mean, I know it's, it is actually coming out on Blu-ray very soon in That's the right, States, yeah. and there's quite a bit of anticipation for it. Yeah, so it's, it's got a very, it's got, yeah, it's it's a very well quite well film. regarded. Yeah. I know that. Um, I mean, I enjoyed it. Jamie uh-huh. Jamie loves it a lot more than me, and I think he holds it a lot higher regard. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's it's an interesting film. I think that it's um, the continuity of it's a funny one as well because there's a lot of disjointed flashbacks in it. And that's purposeful because they yeah. don't want you. There's a, there's without giving too much away. There's something going on with like uh, Gordon's home life. Yes. That it doesn't clearly touch on. You don't know whether he split up with his wife mm-hmm. or whether they had an argument because he hit her or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it keeps you guessing until the end of the movie as to what's, what's going, going on, on with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's quite effective the way it's all sort of. Yeah. What happens to the crew at the end? You know, mm-hmm. the various things that go on. It's, it's quite well done. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm, overall, I, 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 no, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> there are some sort of um, there are some like uh, pretty sort of uh, big things towards the end when things start to really unravel and get yeah. Some, get some really good sort of scenes, like you say, the creepiness of of the actual asylum, the way mm. it's actually set up. Yeah. And it's like my God, to, to think that was that's the real deal. Mm-hmm. You know, you could yeah. technically be locked up in somewhere like that. It's, yeah, that, that is an unsettling does, thought. That is, is unsettling, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, nah. I think, For yeah, you. time hasn't been kind to it. Uh, and I, I, I would definitely step away from this one. I would say it's an interesting film. Um, if you like sort of psychological horror films and you yeah. like something a little bit different, where it's not clearly outlined in, like... And sort of laid out for you as to exactly no, what that's, happened. That's true, yeah. Because there's a lot to chew on. There's a lot to make you think. Well, was it this that happened, or this that happened? Was it supernatural? Mm-hmm. Was it not? Uh, was it just people going mental because of pressure? Um, and it's it's one of those films that leaves leaves it to you to the audience to decide. I mean, I think again going back to Blair Witch, I think there's a scene when uh, you see Hank standing in the corner mm. and sort of muttering away in that, and that was, that was very Blair Witch, which was two yeah. years earlier. I think was it ninety nine. Yeah, it was ninety nine. So mm, again, yeah, it brings up bad connotations. It definitely, it definitely borrows heavily from like um, from some other films, but I think that. Yeah. Uh, Overall, I just found it like an interesting watch, and it was it was never boring. It was even though it's slow paced, even though it is quite slow paced. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it is quite. Well, it must have been quite an economic film to make. You know, it wouldn't mm. have cost them that much, but you know, using new digital equipment, etc. Um, bottom line, I mean, uh, if you like your psychological horror films, give it a check it out and make up your own mind. You mm, mm-hmm. One little fascinating fact: mm-hmm. Casting mm-hmm. by Christopher Walton's wife. Seriously? Yeah, Georgianne Morgan, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, very so. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, funny little footnote there. Right, we best get on to the next review. Indeed. Cheers, Craig. So, last but not least is Blazing Magnums, to give it its UK title. For the oh. rest of the world, I think it was uh, Shadows in an Empty Room. Mm-hmm. Although if you're living in Italy... Uh, I've got it written down somewhere. No, I haven't. Oh, yeah, it was Una Magnum Special per Tony Sater. <laughs> There's a mouthful for you. Um, a 1976 movie directed by Alberto Di Martino. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all in all, it's an Italian film, but sure. shot in Canada, mm-hmm. with mainly 
a sort of American Canadian um, cast. Uh, I don't know if there must have been a few Italians kicking about in the cast, yeah. but nothing major. Mm-hmm. Your big stars in this one: um, Stuart Whitman, John Saxon, Martin Landau. Mm-hmm. Uh, for cult film faves, we've got Tisa Farrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Mia's sister, who's obviously in Zombie Flesh Eaters and a few other exploitation favourites. Yeah, uh, and also we've got a sort of British uh, actress Gail Honeycutt, who mm-hmm. appeared in the quite a few films and TV series but mainly in here for her nipples from what I can gather <laughs> pretty much <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll come back to that in a minute so um, funny film this um, definitely Dirty Harry Knockoff yep which was a lot of these in Italy at the time uh, from the late 60s through the 70s there's a title for them which I'm going to try and mangle uh, <laughs> Polizio Teshi movies I believe that's how you pronounce it I, I don't right, know yeah, I but right, so you got the likes of um Oh, what we got? Milan number? Is it Monday? Oh, I can't remember the titles now. There's loads of them. It's stuff like uh, "Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man," yeah. "Rome Armed to the Teeth," "Violent Naples." All these films that were directed by the likes of Umberto Lenzi. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Alberto De Martino made this one. Uh, but all the people who made all the sort of um, cult films that we all know from Italy, Lucio Fulci, they all had a go at all these sort of yeah, did, hard-edged yeah. films. Pretty much, sort of, not many of these out in the West. Yeah, they're starting to come out more and more. There's a couple of Blu-rays appearing on in the in the US, the, isn't there? Some of which you've been picking up recently. Yeah, I mean, I've including got, this one. Yeah, I do have a box set in the house. I've just never got around to watching, which has got some of the sort of notorious uh, notorious ones. ones, I suppose. Yeah, they're usually pretty violent. If you just think of Dirty Harry, mm. um, it's that level of violence. Probably exactly. a bit more splashy, actually. And it, um, and interestingly enough, it's kind of a mix between. A sort of hard-boiled dirty, dirty Harry knockoff and a Jalo film, you know the Italian this one in particular, mystery. Yes, yeah. this one in particular is some of the other ones we mentioned. Right? I mean, what we'll do, we'll actually on online we'll put the sort of two different posters for it. Yeah. So shadows in an empty room just suggests a, a Jalo movie, doesn't it? Yeah, and it it looks like a sort of Dario Argento style um, kind of a poster, I would say, like or one of those types of movies. Yeah. Oh, it? definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the Blazing Magnums, Magnums one. is just like all out action, cars yeah. on fire and guns being shot and exactly what you expect from exactly. a, so a it, mad chase so when, J- when Jamie first told me about the songs he was th- again uh, like um, Green Room which we discussed recently uh, he was the person who introduced us to this film and he uh-huh. talked about seeing it on TV when his parents recorded it years ago can't believe this is on telly I know and was blown, <laughs> blown away by how crazy it was yeah um, and when I he told us about it I, c- I couldn't quite imagine a mix between a sort of hard boiled cop movie and a Jalo film, but we'll get into how how it achieves. Yeah, uh-huh, exactly. So, um, it starts off um, on the on a campus, yeah, of a university, and mm-hmm. you can see somebody having a conversation from a distance, just like in a Jalo film. But you can't, you don't know what they're saying. But yeah, the camera's going round and picking out different people, mm-hmm. um, and it, within the first five minutes, there's a murder and sort of like you've got all these red herrings, which are all. Actually, is it much. maybe not a little bit later on? Is it a little, well, there's well, a bit of an action scene first, isn't there? Yes, there is. It sort of it jumps backwards and forwards a bit between the sort of yeah, your sort of uh, protagonist of the film, which is uh, Stuart Whitman and his mm-hmm. eyebrows, um, <laughs> who plays Tony Sater, um, the sort of well, basically dirty Harry. Not he's got the, yeah, he's got the big, big magnum, the big magnum gun, and still in the title. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
So, but yeah, if, if there's loads of red herrings and stuff. I mean, like, so basically, what happens is, well, I haven't done the sort of plot synopsis. We haven't. No. Have you got yeah. one? I've got a very. I've got one line here. I'll let you do the plot synopsis. Police well. captain from Ottawa searches for his sister's killer in Montreal using Dirty Harry style tactics. Yeah, that's about. That sums it up. Thumbnail sketch. So, sister dies early on in the film. Uh, Martin Just poisoned Land- at a party. Poisoned Martin Landau's a uh, doctor who happens to be well, a professor come doctor yeah. at the university. Um, he attends to her but can't save her. Um, Tony Sater turns up to his sister's funeral, you know, and he obviously wants answers. Yeah. Um, and he thinks the doctor's responsible. And yeah, at first you, th- you think the doctor's responsible, and it, all things seem to be pointing towards him anyway. Um, but it doesn't prove to be the case, and then the film just takes off from there. That's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like especially at the funeral, the camera's all over the joint, and mm-hmm. you're thinking, well, which one is it? So at the start of the film, um, you've got this weird music score, mm. which is totally at odds with the film at the start. Yeah. It, it, later it fits. It but does at this fit point, later on. Yeah, at this point, it's just so odd because there's an action scene involving a robbery where oh, Tony's yeah, chasing uh, this these so perps. Tony is the sort of badass. Yeah, because he's blowing people away with his magnum left, right and centre. Um, and uh, it's quite funny when he's driving like really recklessly and there's a civilian has to dive out of the way <laughs> over a hedge yeah. to get away from him. Aye. And that's all handheld at the start so it's pretty gritty, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There's a really good shot of a car driving through like a sort of shop front which... You don't really see that much in movies today. It's almost stuff blown up these days, isn't it? Yeah, really? uh-huh. Or kind of like you know things coming apart and then blown up. I mean, this is proper again. Proper old school <laughs> stunt work and stuff, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it has of... quite a lot of charm about it. In that one way. thing I will mention about that scene where he's sort of taking on that sort of actually, yeah, it's quite a nasty little robbery, isn't it? Because the mm. face comes through a, a glass a glass till at a, at a bank. That's right. And it's like, like, a jump cut into it, and I was like, whoa, that's yeah. quite strong. That I was like, you, I don't know. I'm just not used to seeing stuff like that now, like yeah. gritty sort mm-hmm. of action sort of thing. Uh, everything's very too far too polished and martial arty these days. Mm. But um, when he starts, he sort of catches up with the bank robbers. He starts blowing them away. I counted more than six shots out of his gun. I'm sure. Like, yeah. But uh, I might have to go back and check that. But uh, yeah, I'm sure you're probably right. <laughs> it's uh, they had no regard for uh, I'm not counting these types of films. It was all about how much action they could yeah. squeeze in. So he travels to sort sort out what's gone on with his sister. Teams mm-hmm. up with John Saxon, who's sort of the local police fella, because um, he just just doesn't sort of like you know, a lot of these films when there's like a cop from a different area. There's like a bit of red tape. Oh, you can't do this, and he's yeah. starting to. He just, this is he your just, jurisdiction. Yeah, he just waltzes out, and he's got like he knows everybody, yeah. and he knows how to press and stuff like that. It's just uh-huh. bizarre. It's just <laughs> totally like bonkers storytelling, really. Um, so really like, uh, the film starts off like we said as a jalo mm-hmm. and then about halfway through it just drops acid yeah <laughs> it really does or does it start off as a hardball cop movie because it starts with the action scene well it does you've got the action scene then it goes to a jalo. jalo then yeah then it verges between the two yeah um, but yeah the <laughs> going back to that uh, soundtrack for a second how mm. frenetic is that uh, piece of music oh yeah it sounds like the guy playing piano is on like speed or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's a crazy track, and that's what we're saying. There's other fast-paced bits later on that are more. They lend themselves more to that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but initially, it's out of place when you first hear it. But uh, it, but it does get quite an endearing piece of music by the end. You oh, hear yeah. it so many times. Yeah. And it does quite often fit. But but it is a hell of a frenetic piece of uh, of music for, yeah. for sure. 
So I mean, uh, the film. I try not to give too much of the good bits away, but yeah, I mean, there are a lot of them. Yeah, there's got the most bonkers car chase you'll ever see. Absolutely, it is. Um, it's actually directed by well, that part of the film, the, the car chase. Obviously, they've got an action choreographer. Uh, some guy, I think, I'm pretty sure he was French fella, probably mm-hmm. could be French Canadian, who went on to do some of the James Bond stuff. So, All right, but it, that's it's, interesting. Um, basically, you've got. It's doing they're doing the San Francisco sort of jumps. Yes. Um the cars are trash. I mean the, the proper junker cars anyway. Yeah. They're jumping over trains. All sorts. It, yeah, it's just it goes on and on and it's <laughs> it's like one of those really self indulgent family guy gags. Yeah. It just keeps on going on and on and on. Yeah. Past the time where it would be funny just because they want to. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it just gets so crazy. It's it's like the equivalent of the fight scene in their live. Yeah, yeah, well, that's exactly it. It's just, it's great though. But it's hilarious. But and really just, at, well at done the end as well. of it, you've, you've, you've got a massive big grin on your face because it's just so over the top. It concludes in like a totally hilarious way with a brilliant piece of dialogue which we won't give away. No, no. Which will really make you chuckle. Yeah, it's uh, it's just beyond. <laughs> I mean, when he starts following up the leads to find out, you know, because it all ends, gets centers on, there's a necklace. That's it's right. been stolen as well, and that, it that's seems to be quite part of the to... sort of labyrinth. Well, not labyrinth plot, but part of one of the more convoluted parts of the plot. Yeah, and so he goes around finding sort of fences and stuff. I think that's the word. That's right. Yeah. Um, and he, so he basically each one of those involves a chase. One of them being the car chase and that. Mm-hmm. But at one point, he needs to get some information from some drag queens. That's right. And just ends up in the most bonkers fist fight. It's, it's like, kind of like a um, fight from an old western. It's like People a barroom going, brawl in a flat, though, isn't it? There's a bit in where, where like a drag queen throws him through a window in slow motion. Yeah, and it's sort of surreal because of the fact that it's almost like he's fighting women, but obviously he's not. No, so it kind of just looks a bit wrong. They're as butch as anything. Yeah, it's, it's just so <laughs> funny. But like he takes on three of them, and it's just the fighting's just so over the top as well. It is. Yeah, it's it really just, is. Oh. <laughs> Some scenes in this film are completely indescribable. Yeah. You really have to see it to see what we're talking about. Weirdly, this scene reminds us of a line uh, spoken by none other than Jesse Ventura in an awful Leslie Nielsen film called Repossessed. Right. remember that? I remember the film. I can't say I've actually the seen Exorcist it. Exorcist parody. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, there's a scene where um, she's using her. Jesse herself. Ventura in that? He is, yeah. I don't know that. There is a bit where they're having a fight in a ring and it's like a WWF match. All oh, right. And he's doing like commentary on it. <laughs> and there's a bit where she uses her sort of powers to like make him change gender and he grows breasts and he goes and Jesse Ventura famously says it looks like a transvestite battle royal <laughs> that's exactly it for this film like. yeah definitely definitely oh, but it's, it, it's great and then like at the end of that fight it's like oh well I'll just tell you that's basically what happens to all these chases yeah. it's like, so you're wondering like why they're so violently opposed to give him information and then when just... he beats the hell out of uh you know, and some then, of them. And then, should we reveal what he does with the hot tongs? No. <laughs> You've got to <laughs> the see The curling tongs, yeah, you've got to have a watch of that. <laughs> but at the end of it, they're just like, oh, right, okay, well, I'll tell you this. And like, well, why the hell did you just fight fight him and chuck him through yeah. a window and try and beat him senseless? And I mean, you're just going to give him the information anyway? one bit, he chases this guy down who I was convinced was Brian Oblivion from Videodrome the movie. But it wasn't. <laughs> but when he captures him, he speaks like a Shakespearean actor. <laughs> It's just like, after after he drowns his head in the yeah in the, in the toilets yeah um, in the in the sink in the sink yeah when he's in the subway toilets that's just bizarre. <laughs> it's such a straight film, but I mean basically just Tony said it just goes around wreaking havoc everywhere. Pretty much, and um, once it gets uh, about halfway through, it just doesn't let up. It's no. crazy. It just goes into like overdrive. Totally. I also have to mention 
there's just this hilariously lo-fi flashback where absolutely no expense was spared at all. <laughs> They're talking about um, a character you've only seen briefly uh-huh. who turns out to be an important part of the plot and they realise that he's involved. So then it shows you a shot of the previous funeral scene but instead of showing you like footage of it or showing a piece of dialogue with him or a flashback to it, it just shows you a still image from the funeral scene and then the camera awkwardly zooms in on his face. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's so just, funny because it's like, yeah, what? It's just proper sort of <laughs> Cheap, good Italian filmmaking, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, There's loads so, of uh, strange effects in the film. So I like some of the noises in the fights and that bizarre handcuff noise when somebody gets cuffed that oh, goes on for way one. too long. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and so, it sounds wrong uh, as well. You can see it's a film that just keeps giving every time you watch it. You're going to pick up on stupid bits and gaffes all yeah. the time. I mean, it's weird because the film towards the end, Tisa Farrell plays... Um, uh, Tony's sister's Louise, yeah, called, her yeah. Um, roommate sort of thing. Although she's a teacher, um, but she's blind. In oh, sorry, it. you were talking about the, the, the oh yeah, the, yeah. Sorry, sorry Louise's yes. sister. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tisa Farrell plays plays a, a roommate, and she's blind, and she gets mm-hmm. at some point somebody's just wandering around her apartment, helping themselves to various bits. Yeah, and waltzes out again. But like the film sort of jumps back into Jallo stuff it does at yeah at the end when, mm-hmm. when yeah she's been menaced uh, towards towards the end you know but it's such a hodgepodge of a film I mean <laughs> by no means oh I forgot to mention Gail Honeycutt and her, and her boobs every time she appears she's <laughs> yeah. either in a state of undress or she's sort of partially exposed it's that's right she's weird. supposed to be like for want of a better word the town bike yeah, you know I mean? uh, yeah. I, can't, I can't put it any other way but um, there's a scene where Tony goes to question her, mm-hmm. and she's obviously been in bed with this guy, and she's standing in this kind that's of um, Martin Landau's character's son. That's right. Yeah, yeah. again, one of the uh, potential. And he refers murders. to him as some sort of bedroom spy or something. Yeah, some yeah, exactly. piece of dialogue. Yeah, yeah. But there's a terrible, terrible piece of dialogue where he says, "I didn't mean to interfere with your penetrating experience." <laughs> It's like they tried to come up with something dirty and witty at the same time that had double meaning and failed. And what? <laughs> it's like it's like they couldn't come up with something that was like funny enough. Yeah. And he just like kind of says pretty much what he means. Really. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just bizarre, and this like the dialogue's just so unpacy. I've got a note here, but I can't remember what it was about now. Something to do with the fruit market. Yes, um, it's when he talks the talk about the transvestites. Yes, he describes one of them, and he says it sounds like it's something you'd pick, pick up at a fruit, fruit market. market. Oh. It's very seventies. <laughs> yeah, in that it is. Way. Oh, and plenty, of, lots of kipper ties and flares. <laughs> it's class. But we should also talk a little bit without giving too much away about the finale because it's completely nuts. They try to up the ante. Yeah. Every like two sort of minutes, they do something new to make it crazier. Uh-huh. And then the ending is just like, whoa! I know. What, what it's earth? just I. Yeah. I mean, actually, I think that one part of the ending was used as a, a visual cover I think it is on the cover of some of the posters I mean there's lots of things that are really dodgy in it like you know we've talked about this <laughs> talked about a couple of things that are just wrong about dodgy dialogue you know like odd sound effects things like that mm-hmm. but it's just so entertaining that's exactly yeah exactly and this is sort of a hundred minute film mm. and it's sort of it was I put it on I put it on a bit late and it's sort of it started with it being the sort of more of a thrillery thing like, oh this is not going to Hold, hold me attention because it's years since I've seen mm. it. Uh, actually, what we're reviewing, there's a brand new Blu-ray come out of it in America. Um, mm. 
Who's put it out? I don't know if it's Keen Old... Oh, Scorpion have put it out in America. Scorpion releasing Keen yeah. Old Arbor is the uh, yeah, is overall it? label, but yeah. MGM and Orion must have had something to do with it at some and point. Obviously, it's an American version because it's directed by Martin Herbert and all the... It's MGM at the start and stuff, but it's, yeah. it's, it's as good as you're going to see it. I mean, They often a, do that, don't they? Have an Americanized yeah. name for the Italian directors. It's a brand new 2015 HD master. Well, they haven't sort of remastered it. They've just... Cleaned it, the, it up. You clip my even cleaned it up. Yeah. Really, if you look, there's loads of scratches and spots. Well, no, there there is a, but, but I mean, it looked like, better it looks than any, better any, any previous versions. I'm sure. Would. Yeah, but um, I mean, it's not out in the UK currently, and no. it's probably unlikely to. I would reckon. I never saw. Um, I've had my eye out for for a good few years now, and I've never seen a, a genuine DVD release, at least not mm. in the US or the UK. Obviously, it has been out on VHS in, in a lot of countries over the years, but. Uh, yeah, it, it's the sort of thing that 88 films or Arrow might put out in this country. Yeah. Hopefully they will with some special features on it. Cause I'd it's love just a to film. see some people talk about their role yeah. in this film and you know, say about what they think about it today because it's, it's just like, it's an it's a perfect film to like get your mates around and watch and just oh, have a, a good laugh it's, it's, at, it's a beer and pizza movie. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> so I think we'll, we'll give that a video drawn thumbs up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>